It's Wednesday, the 29th of January, and this is the Monocle Minute. Today, is the future of transport really one of driverless cars and autonomous buses? Not so fast. We'll disembark in Zagreb, where plans for a new cable car have commutes in the Croatian capital looking up. Plus, our fashion editor looks at how brands big and small are getting ready for Brexit. I'm Ben Ryland in London. The Monocle Minute starts now. Driverless cars are the way of the future, or so they keep telling us. Uber even operates a separate self-driving division, which plans to launch autonomous vehicles in some small sections of cities where conditions are most favourable. But what if the real transport revolution isn't a technological doomsday for all humans currently employed in the sector, but rather a cleverly considered approach to making public transport simply more user-friendly? Zagreb, the capital of Croatia, probably isn't the first city that comes to mind when we talk about the future of transport. But in many ways, the city offers some valuable lessons to other, much bigger urban centres suffering from an over-reliance on cars. Zagreb benefits from a remarkably sturdy tram system. And judging by plans for the latest addition to its network, things seem to be looking up. Guy Delorne is Monocle's Balkans correspondent. Guy, tell us a little bit about the city of Zagreb. Oh, well, Zagreb's lovely. I really like all my visits to Zagreb. I was last there about a month ago, just before Christmas, and they do Advent very, very well in Zagreb. It's a very pretty city. You go there after going to other cities in the Western Balkans, and you think, hello, I'm in Europe. It, it has that distinct sort of feel to it. And they've been doing very well at attracting tourists during the winter season in particular into Zagreb using Advent as a way of doing that. And then uh, throughout the summer months, which is when tourism is concentrated, Zagreb's the sort of main filtering point for international visitors coming into Zagreb and heading off to the coast and to the islands. Uh, One thing that I think we often find about many cities that are uh, particularly beautiful for visitors is the public transport situation. Often Mm. it is the ability to move around a city with ease and comfort and uh, just relative reliability that really makes the massive difference when you are a visitor to a city. What's the transport situation in Zagreb like? Actually, Zagreb's got a very good tram system. And and one of the reasons the tram system is very good is that the trams themselves are made in Croatia by a consortium called Crotram, um, which is largely dominated by a big sort of industrial electric company called uh, Conchar. And they, they made these trams very nicely indeed. And I think they were trying to export them to other places in Europe. And that didn't really take off. But the legacy for the people of Zagreb is they have a nice new modern tram system, um, which is very sane indeed, and and can get you around to most parts of the city. And this tram system actually forms part of the plan for this this new or rather revived cable car up to the top of Slieme Peak in the uh, Medvednica mountain. So tell me a little bit more about this cable car pitch uh, that we're looking at here. Because, I mean, for a lot of cities in other parts of the world, the idea of a cable car being part of the metropolitan transport would just be the stuff of dreams or or fairy tales. Uh, Why is Zagreb considering this cable car system? Well, no, it's interesting because the trams are run by a company called uh, ZET, um, Zagreb Electric Trams. And they don't just run the trams. They also run already in the centre of Zagreb the world's shortest and 
oldest funicular railway, Ben, uh, which goes up from the, the lower town to the upper town uh, to what's known as Strasmeyer uh, Promenade, uh, which is a very picturesque part of, of, of Zagreb, and you can have some nice views over the old part of the city. So it's already used to having oddities in its public transport system, if you like. And, and Zet is going to be running um, the new cable car up Slieme as well. It's, it's, and it's all going to be linked in, I think, to the number 15 tram route, if you're fond of Zagreb traps. Number 15 is the one to get, and you get off at a particular station at the end of the line, and then you can transfer onto this new cable car, and you'll be able to go right to the top of a mountain, which actually hosts World Cup skiing. So it, it's, it's quite remarkable in a way. This is a very unusual venue. There aren't many World Cup ski races which, which are held uh, within metropolitan areas, major metropolitan areas. And uh, Slieme and Medvednica, they, they have that every winter. They've just had it actually a week or so ago. Uh, the, the Snow Queen World Cup competition, which is uh, very popular for the people of Zagreb. Well, Guy, uh, cable cars are certainly nothing new. Uh, the people of Naples use the trusted funicolare every day, among plenty of other cities as well. But amid all this talk of driverless cars taking over the world, it does seem as if the reality of driverless trains and, well, indeed, cable cars is a bit forgotten. When we talk about the future of transport, could it actually be a mix of trams and perhaps some trains operated by humans, plus monorail, light rail and, indeed, cable cars on an automated system? In other words, could the future of transport actually have more in common with the ambitions of the past before cars and roads really took over? Well, first of all, Ben, I think you should contact um, the, the Zagreb City uh, press office and, and offer your services because you've just done a terrific job from them there. They can now say they've got the, the transport of the future uh, in this new cable car. Which, uh, it's certainly an interesting way of thinking about it. Uh, and people are looking at different ways of doing things. Belgrade's been looking at a cable car plan as well, going across uh, the, the, the River Sava. Um, from the old town to uh, New Belgrade. And that's caused quite a lot of controversy, partly because of where it's sited. It's uh, the Calamagdan Fortress, which is uh, a site of national heritage. But still, it's indicating that people are thinking about different ways of how they get people from one side of a city to another, uh, in that case. Not just uh, for tourists, but potentially um, anybody could, could use that sort of thing. And I think we're closer to where you are um, in, in the UK, We've just seen Manchester coming up with uh, with what they say is an extremely radical plan, which could be a, a model for many cities around the UK. And, and it's something that we've done here in Ljubljana in Slovenia, where I'm based these days, uh, that we're, we're focusing things around cycling and walking. Again, it's driverless, if you like, um, but if you're focused around cycling and walking, people are healthier, the pollution is lower, and there are fewer problems with congestion to boot. And, and to me, that's what the future looks like. Guy Delaunay, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Brexit week is upon us. Monocle's fashion editor Jamie Waters considers how brands big and small are preparing for the big change. The notion of closing borders is totally at odds with the melting pot that is the British fashion industry, fuelled as it is by designers and makers from myriad cultural backgrounds. Indeed, few British industries are as deeply tied to the European continent. But there are important, potentially devastating economic factors at play here too. The fashion industry is pushing for a comprehensive EU trade deal to be negotiated that would avoid tariffs on goods. The British Fashion Council has estimated that a no-deal exit, switching from EU to World Trade Organisation rules, 
would cost the UK fashion industry between 850 million and 900 million euros annually due to export and import tariffs on raw materials and finished products. When you consider the shoestring budgets that small brands are playing with, such tariffs could be the difference between staying afloat and going bust. Some brands have already taken practical measures to mitigate things. Studio Nicholson, a London-based label with a big customer base in Japan, has opened a warehouse in Portugal to house its Europe-made stock so that it needn't touch down in the UK at all. There's an argument that Brexit could encourage UK brands to produce locally. The idea of bolstering homegrown manufacturing is appealing, and Britain still has some great factories, especially for knitwear. But whether our factories, much depleted in recent decades as so many brands have offshored production to cheaper destinations, are capable of taking on a big influx of orders is another matter. Patrick Grant, the creative director of British brands including eTorts and Community Clothing, says, Until we know what our trade deal is with Europe, it's hard to comment on the possible threats or opportunities that our separation from the EU will bring. But what I do know, he continues, is that fashion's long-established supply chains stretch across Europe, and if we are to stand the best chance of seeing benefits, then we need open borders for goods. My thanks to our fashion editor, Jamie Waters. Elsewhere on today's agenda... The busiest street in San Francisco will permanently ban private car traffic. The closure of Market Street today is designed to help public buses and streetcars and is part of Better Market Street. The city's plan to revitalize a three and a half kilometer stretch of the street. South Korea's Samsung was a first-time stallholder at this week's Paper World, the world's largest trade fair for paper, office supplies and stationery that's taken place in Frankfurt since 1919. But it's the analogue world that remains the primary focus of the fair. Drawing a large crowd this year was the Korea Craft and Design Foundation's exhibition on hanji, a traditional kind of paper made using the bark of mulberry trees. And London's Coal Drop Yards shopping precinct got a whole lot more colourful this week, with designer Camille Walala unveiling her giant installation, a collaboration with Denmark's Lego. House of Dots comprises some two million Lego tiles, eight shipping containers, and has been built with the help of 180 local children. It aims to drum up publicity for the launch of the new Lego Dots range, mosaic tile-like Lego pieces aimed at teaching kids how to be more creative. Read more about today's stories by subscribing to our daily email bulletin at our website. I'm Ben Ryland. The Monocle Minute returns on Thursday. Thank you.